FM. You're waiting for Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadow. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is Tuesday, <laughs> July the 29th, 2014. And today, today is all about subscribing to free radio, but I'll get around to that in a minute. Free radio, as you know, is not actually free. We have to pay the bills. You know, um, <laughs> I looked over my... Mike here, and I see our engineer. Yes, young engineer has a lean and hungry look. we got to feed these guys. Now, the folks who keep the wires humming, you know, keep the lights lit, all the technical stuff, you know, they're the ones that do all the technical stuff. And <laughs> it's all that stuff that I'm too lazy to learn. Now, those people have families, and we need to keep their home fires burning. We need to keep the machinery running around here. I, I unlike the uh, paid staff, I survive on my Social Security check, so I am free to be a volunteer and to work for what I believe in, what I care about. <laughs> but goes... That's what Social Security's all about. Well, partly for just a few of us, for the old folks. Uh, I'm just one of those liberal ex-school teachers, you know, allowed to rant, uh, my radical rant. I'm still operating on that old phrase, the truth will set you free, boys and girls. <laughs> I remember, oh, I remember back in the day, the boys and girls, they weren't always sure about the truth. Today's boys and girls are, are well, they're another story. They tend to challenge the statement, uh, well, the thing is that they will look you right in the eye and ask you, whose truth? Uh, what is it we say nowadays? Um, what you think is who you are. Oh, I know, they like to, I think it's Shakespeare's phrase. Nothing is true. But that thinking makes it so. Anyway, uh, 
being a philosopher is easy at 80. It's a little hard for the kids. Uh, I'm at the stage where my philosophy uh, has begun to evolve. It almost, it's almost ready to gel, but not yet. Maybe by the time I'm 100. I'm at the stage now where I look for what I can call a truth. A, a fact, maybe, but a truth. I find more truth in fiction. But anyway, the truth, the truth is still way beyond my grasp. Anyway, uh, when it comes down to a truth, today is KPFA. A's a truth. We need to survive and thrive as an institution. We are devoted to human rights, to socio-political justice. You know, that vision thing I spent most of last night reading a biography of Mary Wollstonecraft, the author of Vindication of the Rights of Woman. Is it woman or women? Anyway. Mary Wollstonecraft uh, was the mother of modern feminism. She was born in 1759, and she lived 38 years until 1796, died of septicemia. That's what it was called, septicemia. Oh, the spelling's weird. There's an A-E in the middle, septicemia. It's an infection associated with childbirth in the 18th century, well, in the 19th century, several centuries, I think is more or less depending on uh, the place and the conditions. Uh, in Mary's case, that tragic state of affairs, uh, well, it was what was going on before the germ theory of disease was promoted. In the 18th century, no one washed hands. Doctors could come from the morgue in the hospital basement right up to the maternity ward. Uh, things were not much better, maybe a little bit better at home. I'm not sure. Um, the record is a little vague with the midwives, although in this case, in Mary's case, uh, well, it's a long story. The placenta was broken up and the doctor spent hours and hours trying to get little bits of it out. So obviously an infection was introduced at that time. Uh, it was uh, eight, nine days later that she died. Uh, the baby survived. In that time, septicemia killed mothers. Long time. I'm trying to think what the dates might be. Let's just say centuries. Certainly in the Western world, things were pretty grim. They called it childbed fever. I think they associated it with you know, uh, the suffering of women, very biblical. Anyway, fully half the babies and infants died of related uh, infections and or diseases. Mary Wollstonecraft had two daughters. The first, uh, Fanny Imlay, a fascinating character. Uh, she was illegitimate. Her father was an American uh, <laughs> uh, playboy. He was a, a fun guy. But um, he was very unkind to Mary. He pretty much radicalized her, along with a lot of other things. Uh, 
That little daughter grew up to commit suicide. She jumped off the same bridge that her mother once tried to jump off and kill herself. Let's see. Uh, the illegitimate daughter, yes, was identified by her corsets. Her mother's name was on the corsets. The initials, anyway. M.W. Mary Wollstonecraft. The second daughter grew up to marry uh, Percy Shelley, the poet Shelley. So she became Mary Shelley, and uh, it is she who wrote the modern masterpiece, Frankenstein. And I think you can figure out just exactly why Mary Shelley wrote the book Frankenstein. Uh, her own children, I was looking here in the back of my little biography, four babies, only one survived to grow up and he had no issue. Uh, one lived to be about three. Anyway, she had seen uh, her children die. And so she wrote Frankenstein. Anyway, as I said... Mary Wollstonecraft died at the age of 38. And I read this because I want to check out the scene, the context of the other book I'm reading, which is all about a woman. Uh, let's see, she died four, three or four years before Mary Wollstonecraft, and she was 84. Okay, she's over in America. And this is my book. This is my book for today. This woman is Jane Franklin. She has another last name, but never mind that because it doesn't matter. She's the youngest sister of our own Benjamin Franklin. When she died, she was 84. <laughs> anyway, the dates are kind of interesting. I just thought, how fascinating uh Lives can be, she had, of course, twice twice the years on earth as Mary Wollstonecraft. Uh, and she didn't become political until she was quite old. Uh, youngest sister, they were so sweet. Benny and Jenny, they called them. Benny seems to have written to his sister Jane all his life. He didn't write to anyone more. She, Jane Franklin, had uh, 12 children, I think 12 or 12. Uh, when she died, there were only two of her children still surviving her. Uh, and one of those two, she thought, had died. Uh, I, I checked out uh, things in England. Now, of course, Jane Franklin was here in the good old U.S. of A., but over there in England, uh, there was a lady, let's see, oh, Queen Anne, I think, is the best example. Uh, now, she was on the throne, so you would think she would have uh, the best of care. Mm -hmm. She came to the throne in 1702, and she was pregnant 17 times. Uh, a lot of smallpox here, let's see. Uh Six miscarriages, six stillbirths. I remember an old TV series you may have seen. 
Margaret Tyzak, a wonderful English actress that you would probably recognize because she's been in so much stuff. She played Queen Anne, a very sweet lady, yes, I think, of Queen Anne's Lace. Uh, she was a, a super femme. Anyway, uh, let's see. One son and one daughter died yesterday. They were born. I think, yes, they were. Oh, yeah, those were two born at the same. Oh, they must have been twins. I'm just looking here. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, one little boy lived to be ten. Anyway. I imagine that Queen Anne was what we might call suffering from postpartum depression. <laughs> she couldn't seem to keep the children alive. Never mind. I want to go to the the happy one, the lucky one. That's Jane Franklin. She had just about the roughest life you could imagine. And although most of her children died before she did, uh, she had something approximating a... Ah, oh, you'll call that a productive human life. My favorite thing was her her effort to become an entrepreneur. She sold soap. Her soap recipe was her pride and joy. Now, I'm opening up the book. It's a wonderful book. It's called Book of Ages. And who would have known that she kept a little book, Jane Franklin, called the Book of Ages, The Life and Opinions of Jane Franklin. The author is... Jill Lepore, L-E-P-O-R-E, a splendid writer. She's on the staff at The New Yorker. I'm sure you've read her stuff if you read The New Yorker. Trying to see, uh, where is she teaching? I think she's teaching at Harvard, or she did. Let's see, is she still at Harvard? Yes. Uh, anyway, wait a minute. No, 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 wait a minute. Let's just stick with the staff writer at the New Yorker. That's my favorite thing. Anyway, being a uh, history professor is only part of her, her shtick. I'm looking for her books. You may have read New York Burning. That was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. Uh, the Name of War won the Bancroft Prize and... The Mansion of Happiness, shortlisted for the 2013 Andrew Carnegie Medal for Excellence in Nonfiction. This lady lives in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, see, vintage paperbacks include some of her other books. A is for American, uh, The Name of War, right, and New York Burning, I think. She looks like a, a co-ed. I'm looking at her picture. She looks so young and cheerful. Uh, I, I mention all of her credits because I don't want you to think that this is some kind of uh, <laughs> feminine, uh, little feminine book, the uh, feminist book. I'm holding the great big beautiful hardback. Uh, it has pictures of dolls, old-fashioned dolls on the cover. I'm not sure that's the right picture. Anyway, there's now a paperback. It's only about $15. And 
If you want to get ahead of the crowd, you can call up KPFA and get a copy of the $15 paperback. But it's $85 subscription. So get a subscription to KPFA for a year and you get a copy of Book of Ages, The Life and Opinions of Jane Franklin. It's a little book. She sewed it together. It was not, of course, published in her lifetime. Anyway, I'm sure you know the numbers here. Five and dime area code eight four eight five seven three two and the eight hundred number one eight hundred four three nine five seven three two or one eight hundred hey KPFA eighty five dollars and you get a copy. I'm opening to the first. Pe- I just started my shtick. Here comes here comes Laura Privis to help me promote this book, and I have not even started. I'm going to have to do this again next Tuesday, Laura. I can't do this in half an hour. It's just not possible. It's not Benjamin Franklin. This is his his. Well, they use one of his phrases from uh, Poor Richard's Almanac to introduce the book. He wrote, "One half of the world does not know." How the Other Half Lives. I was jabbering a minute ago about the life of Mary Wollstonecraft, and I noticed that the other half, the husband of Mary Wollstonecraft, the night that she was dying in childbirth, had dinner with his friends. He was, of course, very upset later, but it it never occurred to him that he should alter his schedule. Never mind, he he was a very well-meaning chap, but he did not know how the other half lived. Let's face it. Uh, Never mind. There's a wonderful first section here uh, about the the early years of Benjamin Franklin, and I can see where he got some of his ideas from his sister. They exchanged ideas. He uses an alter ego called Silence Do Good. (laughs) He got that idea from her. He writes as a woman, and he writes in, uh, let's see, C-O-U-R-A-N-T, O-Courant. I don't know why he picked that as the title for his little magazine. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, he has this woman, Silence Duguid, express her feelings about things as they are. And, of course, Silence Duguid does not approve of them at all. And Cotton Mather comes along and tells Franklin that he is misbehaving anyway. Let me just read you the first paragraph here because it's about Jane. It's a chapter on silence do good. Jane, Jane never put on pants. Instead, she bled and tied rags between her legs. Her doctor, John Perkins, wrote in his commonplace book, Menses began at nine or ten years, adding on another page this warning. Early menstruation renders the uteri hard and dry, so that they ought not to prompt the early appearance by obscene books and frequent touchings. Good God! And this book, this story goes on saying, Beware the bookish girl. Uh, Anyway, 
summer of 1721, Jane was nine and Benjamin 15. Their brother, James, had started a newspaper. And, uh, oh, there's paragraphs and paragraphs of the the boys, you know, and they just set up all these newspapers and Jane just goes along with the program. Let's see. Right, she's six years younger than he is. And uh, then Franklin, being a energetic boy, we know Benjamin Franklin, got disgusted and took off. He was free to run away. It didn't dawn on Jane that she could just pick up and go. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I'm looking here at Cotton Mather. I can't resist. Cotton Mather goes to Franklin and his brother James, and he says that the design of your paper, your newspaper, is to banter and abuse the ministers of God, and if you can, to defeat all the good effects of their ministry on the minds of the people. He says that the magazine is a wickedness never paralleled anywhere upon the face of the earth. Uh, all right. He called Jane's brother and the writers who worked for the paper. He dubbed them the Hell Fire Club. I don't. I guess that means they would go into hell fire. I guess. Increase Mather. You remember him? That was, uh, I think, the brother of Cotton. Not sure which relative. Increase Mather wrung his hands too, thinking perhaps of how well he had suppressed the writings of, and they give you a list of other heretics. You know how it was in America. I, I always think of my favorite. I did not know till fairly recently that Elizabeth Cady Stanton was the one who rewrote the Bible for women. She was working with Susan B. Anthony all those years to get the vote for women. And Susan B. Anthony said nothing mattered but the vote. And don't bother with the Christianity stuff because, you know, one thing at a time. We've got to get the vote first. And Elizabeth Cady Stanton said, no, that the Christianity was what was, uh, let's let's say, uh, scalding women's lives. She talked about her own terrors. And uh, she said, no, it was more important to attack Christianity. But actually, it got her thrown out of the uh, feminist movement for a while. There was a split because uh, Elizabeth Cady Stanton insisted that Christianity was the worst thing that could happen to a wise woman. Uh, anyway, I, as I say, I have two tons of this stuff. I love the pen name, Silence Do Good, and I, maybe next week I'll have time to read you all of the, or some of the stuff that Silence Do Good wrote. I, I think that might be a good idea. I remember writing in the voice of a man for a while, but, you know, it didn't work the same way. I think it is better for the guys to put themselves in the place of women uh let's see i'm trying to think uh we haven't got that much time yes. laura no we don't uh yeah, you well, know we should give out the number and let people know that um that this is the our short summer fun drive it's and a what dear this is a, a, our summer fun drive yes here at kpfa and I don't know why that mic sounds funny like that. <laughs> no, I think, yes, I was looking here to see the 
all the stuff about uh, in the, the in the newspaper. They were all worried about the horrors in the new world. And I don't know. Uh, actually, uh, some of this stuff, they are as much free thinkers as Mary Wollstonecraft was over there in Paris with the French Revolution. Uh, when I first get a book like this, I love to check out the index. And it seems that Thomas Jefferson, you know, uh, well, he was over in France during the Revolution. And, uh, well, his story is, is very interesting because, of course, he, at that point, took as mistress a young girl of 15. She was his captive, his slave, called Sally Hemings. And she doesn't figure in this book, but uh, uh, there are some indications that maybe she and her brother could have been free in France. Uh, he did give them a salary at some point. But anyway, I would have thought that all these people would meet in the coffee house and have dinner and discuss whether or not the women could be free. Uh, anyway. Oh, oh, Jennifer, we should give out the number for give people. Give out the number. Um, Shout the number so out. We're, what we're offering this half hour during Jennifer's slot here is this uh, book that she's been talking about, The Book of Ages, Life and Opinions of Jane Alexander by historian Jill Lepore. Um, you can get that for a donation to KPFA of $85. You can support this radio station and support the programming that we have here along with Jennifer Stone, who's, as you can see, are here. <laughs> She's an amazing reader. I think you're, you're, you're by far the best reader of anyone on the air here. Oh, I have no doubt. I just, I wouldn't. <laughs> no. It's you think I, you, you think I went through Mills College all those years and took all those damn courses and bounced books on my diaphragm and it didn't take? I mean, you know. And we get in the, the old days, of all In the old training. days, we tried. We studied. It was, a, I don't know if it was a waste of time, but uh, so, you know, it was so fun. Yeah. So, so again, just to, uh, if people would like that book and would like to support KPFA, you can call us at 1-800-439-5732. That's one 1- 800 439 $85 or any donation amount would be appreciated to help us keep going here, keep the lights on at KPFA. And this is really a wonderful book that that, that um, Jennifer has been telling us about. You wouldn't believe the Jenny spelling. Jenny and Benny. Have you, have you seen enough of it, Lord, to see the spelling? I cannot believe this woman, it proves my point, which is that spelling has absolutely nothing to do with your intelligence or your brains, you know. It's almost entirely phonetic, you know. Wife is spelled uh, W-F, of course, I, you know. <laughs> anyway, I'm looking here at all of her poems and... Uh, how much she paid for everybody's funeral. This was an amazing woman. She could have been Benjamin Franklin, you know, if if uh, she'd had the proper equipment. Exactly. And this is and then this is an amazing book that uh, historian Jill Lepore has. She's a, been a staff writer uh, at the New Yorker since 2005. This book has won the National Book Award, or is a finalist for a National Book Award. Uh, been named one of the best books of the year by. Time and NPR and Washington Post and others. So, and this isn't her first book, but 
It's quite an amazing piece of scholarship. I think we should get her over here. I, I think uh, it's time for us to do telephone interviews of some of these uh, yeah, women um, journalists. We know. have the technology. We could do that. And you can get this book for a donation of $85 to KPFA, The Book of Ages, Life and Opinions of Jane Franklin, uh, sister to Ben Franklin, by calling one 800 439 5732. That's 1-800-439-5732. We're almost out of time here, Jennifer. Now, the local phone number is in the Five and Dime area code, 510-848-5732. That's the one. And hey, KPFA, if you're the kind of person who really, really, you know, can't remember numbers, just remember, hey, H-E-Y, KPFA. A. Uh, this day, my dear brother, completes his 84th year, Jane writes. <laughs> anyway, she goes on to talk about how happy she is. He's bought her a little house, and she's fixing it up because she thinks that the neighbors will know that she is the sister of this great man. And she doesn't want anybody to come to visit, you know, unless it's fixed up proper. Uh I think, actually, she must have been physically very, very strong. Uh, she's constantly sending him remedies for his pains, his aches and pains, and obviously she's too arthritic to walk. But uh, I don't know. She's more than a... She's not a... What is the word? You, you, you pick up... Uh, on a sort of subliminal level that she she really can't function very well. She has to be carried sometimes, you know, but there's not a shred of self-pity or anything like that, you know. She just says, well, you know, when I'm able to get across town, I will send you, you know, 60 boxes of the soap. Please sell it because I need the money. <laughs> anyway, uh, he writes... He writes to her, he says, you always tell me that you live comfortably, but I sometimes suspect that you may be too unwilling to acquaint me with any of your difficulties from an apprehension of giving me pain. Obviously, these people were very, very fond of each other, and they wrote to each other more than they wrote to anybody else all their lives. Benjamin Franklin, sadly, 